um, God put this crazy idea in our heart to start 10 churches in 10 cities in 10 years. So we're talking with our staff more and leadership team more today uh, after church about that, what that's going to look like. But part of the things, um, one of the things that God put in our heart was this. We're going to plant churches to raise disciples, right, who will really do what Jesus said to do. I was talking with an organization called Backyard Orphans last week, right before I went on vacation. And I shared with them our vision to have every single child, 140, everybody say 140, 140 kids in a loving home in 10 years. And he said, man, that's incredible. He said, tell me your denomination again. And I said, Assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostal, Charismatic. He said, really? I said, yeah. I said, and I said, why do you look surprised? He said, well, I have a really hard time getting any Charismatics to care about the orphans. He said, the only people I can get actually interested is, is Baptists and Methodists. He said, for some reason, Charismatics won't even return my call. And I said, you know what? We're changing that. We're changing that reputation. I said that, and he said, yeah, I don't know. He, now, everybody just pull your toes in for a minute. Because he, he challenged me to say what he said next, okay? Just put your hand over your heart, because it's about to hurt. He said, yeah. He said, I love you guys, but charismatics just love good services. I said, oh, man, this is going to be a long Zoom call. <laughs> he said, well, I'm just excited to really do the book of James, and I'm glad you are too. And if you follow Jesus, you'll start to all of a sudden see the hurting people around you, right? And we're going to talk about that in the service today. But if you want to learn more, if you say, you know what, I can maybe just be a mentor mom. I can be a mentor dad, you know, where I take out one of these kids once a month. Or I could be part of the support team. So what you heard there, 95%, 95% more likely to continue to foster if you have a support team. So what we want to do as the church is say, hey, I can't foster a child right now. I can't adopt a child. I can't do one of those things, but I can bring you a meal. I can provide respite to you once a month. I can watch the kids once a month. So how many of you guys realize it really does take a village, right? It takes a church to come together and to do what the book of James says is true religion, which is to care for the orphan, the widow, and the poor. All right, we're going to receive our offering, so let's pray over that. I know almost everybody is uh, online givers now here, so if you want to drop it in the basket, though, you can drop it in the uh, box on the way out. Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, we do want to change that reputation. God, we do not want to be a people who just love services. God, we want to love people. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus so God, help us today. Our hearts are open. Our hearts are open. Can we all say that? Our hearts are open. Speak to us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to invite up a new friend. Have you guys ever met a friend and it's just like, oh man, I almost went Anne of Green Gables on you, a kindred, a kindred spirit. Um, Right away, I could just feel the presence of God in Pastor Jack. And so he's going to have a video to introduce what Convoy of Hope is and what, what he does. But uh, we have a guest speaker here today. And I learned from the last few years, if you still try to preach a sermon after vacation, you can't fully relax on vacation. So I'm excited to have you here today. All right, watch this video. It feels like last year got put on pause. But thanks to you, we have seen more people served and more lives changed by the love of Jesus than ever before. the Helping Hands Food Pantry of Teaneck. She was in the hospital for 17 days and then was put on um, a ventilator and then she didn't make it. I'm still waiting for her to walk through the door. We had to close, but we had limited resources. 
when sometimes you don't, with no pun intended, you don't feel there's hope, your truck came rolling in. You gave us that little oomph we needed to get back and fight for what we need to do around here. You inspired a lot of broken people to get back up. They say God moves in mysterious ways. Oh, I came in a tractor trailer. <laughs> you make stories like this possible. Thank you. Good morning, Rock of Grace. I have just enjoyed this morning. You know, when we were separated from joining together in services because of COVID, I cannot tell you that as I began to travel around and got back into in-person services, how that was just so refreshing. And thank you this morning, Will and the worship team and the tech crew, beautiful job this morning. Would you tell them thank you? Because they just did a great job. And, and I just want to, I want to tag on to something that Pastor Jordan did this morning when he prayed over businesses. Uh, we did this, uh, when I pastored in Erie, Pennsylvania, we did this one morning and prayed over businesses. And one of the guys who wasn't really a strong follower of Jesus, but just said, I got to do something. He, he had owned a couple car dealerships in Erie and we prayed and then he said, okay, God, what are we going to do? And God told him to start playing Christian music in a showroom and then told him, for him specifically, you need to start tithing. And he said, suddenly my business began to grow strong, and now he's got the strongest dealerships in that region. And one time he started to go back down, and he said, God, what happened? And God said, you forgot to give to me. And so he got back at it again. So I'm just encouraging you to take hold of that prayer this morning and say, God, what do you need for me to do as you do what you want to do through me? Because it's going to be awesome. So thank you that you helped stories like this one we've just seen happen. And I'm here to say thank you on behalf of Convoy of Hope, the entire team. Thank you for partnering with us for so long. And it's making an incredible difference from neighbors to nations. It is amazing. And so this morning, I want to look at a couple more stories. So you could hear the, the crunching of the bow of the boat as it slid up on the rocky shore at a place called the Gadarenes. This was a place that was one of the entryways into the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire, a place known as the Decapolis, meaning there were 10 cities in this region. And as soon as Jesus placed his feet upon that shore, he was rushed by a character straight out of the exorcist. And here's his story. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put in chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I want us to realize that this is not some kind of fictional creature or a caricature. This is a real guy. In fact, I'm looking at your shirt down here. It says, we are all human. This guy could have worn one of those. He is human. I believe that probably he had a mom who cried every night because she didn't know the condition he was in. Or he had some children who said, why hasn't daddy been home for a long time? Or maybe he had brothers who would go out to find him every day and bind him back up again so that he didn't hurt somebody else or himself. So that we can dignify this guy, this morning I want us to give him a name. A name because he is human. A name that helps us realize that he is real and not the name that the demons would put on him. And so this morning, just for the sake of a name, let's call him Jason. Do we have anybody here named Jason? I apologize. <laughs> Something happened that made him snap. Somehow he became violent, uncontrollable, mentally ill, hell-bent, and crazy. He lived in this place, these, these, these cave condominiums on the side of a hill. Perfect 
to bury dead people and perfect to drop off people who are dead to you. This man now has been pushed back into a place. A place that says you do not fit in our society. You are beyond our ability to help solve your issues. And because of that, you frighten us. And if we can't solve it, we don't want you around. And so they push him back into these caves. Beyond their margins of comfort and safety. In fact, today we still use the word that people are marginalized. They're pushed beyond our comfort zones. You are not welcome in our community and we don't want to go into yours. And that's where he belongs. Freakishly strong. The essence of hell. He would howl and screech through the day and into the night. And if you heard him into the night, it would make the hair on your arms stand up because it was so frightening. And he would run around naked and it was an ugly naked because he cut himself continuously with sharp stones. So he was a man with massive scars and entire body. And as you'd see him run by, he would be bleeding from the fresh cuts that he'd made that day. And what do you do with somebody like Jason? You push them away. These people that are in despair, meaning that they believe that today is hellish and tomorrow will be no better. And nobody cares. And you push him into his settled place. So Jason runs toward Jesus. And Jesus doesn't run from Jason. And I have this picture in my mind that when Jason started down the hill toward those people who just landed on the shore, that the disciples clambered on top of each other just trying to get back in the boat. But Jesus did something amazing. He crossed over the margin. This morning, I want us to just just look at three observations about Jesus, how he disrupts our settled places, the places we put people that we can't deal with, the people that frighten us. The first observation is this, that Jesus always engages the person, not the issues. See, we we see people that are having issues, and we go, I I don't want to deal with those things. And Jesus said, I don't want you right now to deal with the things. I want you to engage the person. I want you to see the person. And that declaration that Jesus made, that if you follow me, there will come this time when the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses to neighbors and nations. He said, you will show and tell what happens when this force that I will bring will disrupt all margins. This this, this declaration of Jesus is not about developing a missions program, but instead it's developing a mission in us to engage people who have no hope that we will enter into their world. And that isn't, isn't that what, what a, the really close friend of Jesus declared? John said, you know, about Jesus, in the beginning was the word, the true essence of God. And, the, and, and he, was, he, was, he was with God and he is God and he, he put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood. That, that he moved beyond the margins that we think divinity should be in and came down and hung out with us, we who had been marginalized from the holiness of God. See, secondly, Jesus dislodges accepted margins. That's why it was impossible for people to believe that God had come in flesh because gods do not leave their heavenly places. They do not come into these places of the tombs. Hal Donaldson was a successful author and he was a successful sports writer. He'd been invited to go to Calcutta to to meet with two people who had given their lives to help serve people on the streets of Calcutta, the poor and the dying. When he arrived, they said, hey, because you're gonna write about our story, we need for you to meet somebody who has been part of our story. And they said, we have an appointment with you with Mother Teresa. So he went to be with Mother Teresa and while he was with Mother Teresa, in the middle of the interview, she said to him, Hal, What are you doing for the poor and suffering? And Hal said, you know, I'm looking at Mother Teresa and I realize who she is and you can't lie to Mother Teresa. 
So he said, I'm doing nothing. And then she said this, you may not be able to feed 100, but you can feed one. Because everybody can do something. She, in essence, was saying, don't run from the one in despair. Run to them. Because you can do something. So Hal went back home and grabbed his brothers and loaded up his pickup truck with groceries and went out to begin to feed the migrant workers in Northern California. And this movement called Convoy of Hope began, and what began with three men and a truck since 1994 has blossomed into this movement that has, has served 163 million people has delivered $1.39 billion worth of supplies and, and food and services. Through the local church, has entered beyond the margins normally would be set into places people normally would not go, and has gone into 2,100 communities in 21 countries. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. So what is the force that motivates Jesus to break down margins and break off chains of despair? Well, let's cut to the end of the story. Spoiler alert, here's the end. Are you ready? Jesus says to this man, after he delivers him from his issues, after dealing with him as a person, he said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had what? Say it again. Say it loudly. Compassion on you. The Jews called that word bowels of mercy. I don't think people would like it if I entitled this sermon Healthy Bowels. Unless you're having a colonoscopy this week, it's not applicable. In the first century, they said this was the center of, of love and pity. Paul the Apostle said to the church in Corinth, this thing is so vitally important, this force that God has unleashed is so vitally important that even though you perform miracles and you perform healings and, and you have prophetic words and you can actually speak into people's lives and you can discern spirits and you can cast out spirits, he said, if you don't have this thing, you sound no better than an old truck with squeaking brakes. That squeal will drive you crazy. And that's what it's like if you do not move with this power that I've given you. Worship. Worship, you're talking about worship. Worship is, is this beautiful thing, and some people think it's just Sunday morning, and we've enjoyed worship this morning, but I need to tell you this, that what propelled Jesus is rooted there. Jesus came to us because he was propelled to engage people, and it's called compassion. That's what this is, it's compassion, and compassion is rooted in worship. Compassion is the image of God in you. When people want to see God, they saw Jesus, and Jesus came, and how often did it say, Jesus had compassion on the crowds? He performed miracles, but he performed miracles because Jesus had compassion on the people. He engaged them. It is a divine mindset. Isaiah gives us a, a view of what that mindset is. In Isaiah, the book in the Bible, he, he talks about that that he was struggling with, with bereavement and, and, and so, so sad that a good king had died. And in that bereavement, he gets this image of God. And he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his, his robe filled the temple, meaning that it was filled with power. And we sang it this morning. They began to declare in an antiphonal chant, holy, 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 holy. Is the Lord God Almighty? Is the Lord God Almighty? John, the one who loved Jesus so much, also got a view of this, and he gives us a little better picture. He says, the elders, those, those people who had served God and were rewarded, are, are before him, and they're, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Then they bow down, and they look back up, and they go, holy, 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 because every time they look up, they see a new dynamic, a new piece of God, a new color, a new thing that blows them away, because that word holy really means this, other. You're other, you are other. You are other than we are. You are other than we can see. You are other beyond these dimensions. You are other. You are other. And we can't grasp this thing. And it leaves us in awe. 
And at that moment, Isaiah says, I realize how other I am not. And he said, I'm an unclean man. I got unclean lips and I want to be like you, but I can't be with you. I can't do that because this is who I am. And God sends an angel with a coal from the altar to cleanse his lips and he becomes like God wants him to be. And then God says this, who will I go and who shall I send? And Isaiah says, oh, that's me. Because what happens in worship is that worship begins to reveal to us God and the power that he's given us, which is the power of compassion. And when we hear God speak to us, when we recognize that compassion in our lives, we then begin to say, make me like you because I want to do what you do. It is transformational. So let me tell you about a guy, a friend of mine, a close friend who recently passed about two months ago. It was a shock to us but he left such a legacy. I met Mel when we were planting a church in Boise, Idaho. Mel was an entrepreneur. And, and I began to realize that Mel had this mindset. The first piece of his mindset was this, that Mel didn't believe you should pay full price for anything. So a time gone, gone on, Mel became very successful. Uh, Mel bought a biological fertilizer company and began to expand it. I said, Mel, how do you know how to mix those, those, those things together to make that? I said, did you go to college and, and was it a chemistry degree? What was that? He said, oh, no. He said, I just know God told me to buy this company. And so I say, God, how do I mix this stuff? And God shows me. Now, I'm sure he's smarter than that. But still, he said, God showed me what to do. So I went to meet Mel in Phoenix, Arizona, because we had this deal where we would meet every March and we would go to spring training for a week. And I'd go be with Mel because Mel had a house in Phoenix and a couple of houses elsewhere and a couple planes and just, he was doing okay. And so he said, hey, when you get down here, I know you're getting in at dinner time, so Joy and I will take you to dinner. And let's, I know you love Mexican food, so we'll take it to a Mexican place. So in my head, I'm picturing Mel, wealthy, Mexican food in Phoenix. Oh, it's going to be a great restaurant. So he picked me up, and we went directly to the restaurant. He took me to Del Taco, which is one step above Taco Bell. <laughs> and you know why? Because Mel had a coupon. That was Mel's mindset, but what set him apart beyond that is that before Mel actually began to become extremely prosperous, he received a phone call and he answered the phone and a voice on the other end said, hey, is this Mel? He said, yeah. He said, I'm in trouble, I need your help. Mel said, well, where are you? I'll come get you. I'll come to you. He said, you don't even know who this is. And Mel said, it doesn't matter. You need help, I'm coming. Mother Teresa said to Hal Donaldson, just go do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. A step at a time. So when COVID hit, Hal called the team together and he said, now look, he said, we're going we're to postpone all the things we were going, going to do domestically. And, and what we're going to do is, he said, I've got this goal. I think we should try to send out 10 million meals. Now understand that the supply chain had been broken. There were a whole lot of places, grocery stores that had no, no food left and, and who would have guessed that people would buy 300 pounds of toilet paper? And he said, we'll keep trying to send these things out to the churches who care for their communities and we will do that and we'll just go as long as we can. See, the time comes when God puts somebody in front of you and he says, do the next kind thing I put in front of you. And that compassion rises up and you say, I don't know how I can do this. And you can turn and say, somebody else who is more qualified can achieve this. I can't. You may have been sitting here this morning listening to the announcement about foster care and saying, oh, I, I, I couldn't take care of kids some night. I, I couldn't do that. You don't know me. I, they'll drive me crazy. Well, like this crazy man we read about, you can, God can put you in your right mind. He can straighten you out. So, so, 
So Hal said, let's just try this and see what happens. And the time will come when God says to you, I want you to try this. And you either have to say, it's beyond my ability to deal with this issue. Or you're going to say, I want to be like you and I want to do what you do. And when we do that, when we do what God does, then God gives us what he has. Check this out. COVID-19 spread across the nation. The government has issued a shelter-in-place order for the entire state of COVID-19. This is a crisis unlike any other because of its pandemic magnitude. So today we are announcing a national initiative to distribute 10 million meals. We have now surpassed our goal of providing 10 million meals. We've now distributed over 17 million meals, over 20 million meals, and more than 40 million meals, more than 50 million meals, over 100 million meals, more than 150 million meals, more than 200 million meals in response to COVID-19. The group distributed more than 40,000 pounds of food. The food will be going to areas that need it most. The supplies are meant to be a welcome shot in the arm for families now struggling due to COVID-19 to provide some comfort, relief, and stability in a time of uncertainty. It's huge. I, can't, I have three kids. I'm a single mom, so this is, this is amazing. Yep, thank you guys. God bless. Just grateful for Convoy of Hope and its willingness to come and to partner with communities to meet the real tangible needs of people. So our plan is every two weeks, we'll be feeding the children in our program centers. But my first delivery was Brenda. And when I knocked on her door, she was very surprised. She started crying and she says, well, she had $7 left, that's it. And she said, I had no more groceries. Then we drove up to Tika's house and she ran up to me, started hugging me immediately. She couldn't believe it. She says, I have, we haven't eaten in two days, but they were so excited. I started talking to her and then I prayed for her. Out of nowhere, I decided to ask her. She knew, you know, wanted to lead her to the Lord. And she said, yes. And I led her to the Lord. And she was just, uh, just overjoyed. It was just really neat to see what a bag of groceries can do for people and how God can move in somebody's life with a bag of groceries. It's amazing to me. Our drive-through that we literally, for 11 hours a day from 7.30 in the morning till 6.30 at night, we have cars coming through all day long and just receiving diapers, receiving you know produce, receiving hot meals. When the Convoy of Hope truck showed up, I don't think there is a single dry eye um, because, you know, we've just been in the trenches for weeks now working to help people who are just in so much need. Just thank you guys. We really need that like Midwest love <laughs> in, uh, in Gotham City <laughs> as, uh, you know, you guys are just shining bright and it just gave us some inspiration and hope to continue to go on and do the work that we're doing too. So thank you. So if compassion is rooted in worship, then compassion transforms the environment. I want to tell you a story, and it's not a real name, and it's not a real person, but it's a composite of many people whose stories could be this. So we'll call her Mercy, and Mercy is born in Tanzania in a family of eight children. She's born into poverty. The, the mother and the father cannot make enough money. The kids go out on the garbage dumps and try to scavenge for food or something that can be repurposed so that they can buy food. And every day, the mom has to figure out which of those kids will eat. They are desperate. They don't want their kids to die. They're hungry. They're starving. And, and they think suddenly they've got this answer. And there is this, this kindly gentleman who tells them that well, he will take some of their kids and put them in a place where they'll be safe. And they will have something to eat every day. And in desperation, they go, yes, take them. And so Mercy and some of her siblings are taken away. And within weeks, they're in Europe being trafficked. So when COVID hit Europe, Mercy and 
those who had been trafficked with her found themselves in a precarious position because shelter in place was announced in Spain. The trafficking industry just died. And the Johns who illegally brought these people into that country announced to them, we can't feed you, you're on your own, and sent them out into the streets. These who are marginalized. What do you do with someone who has spent years giving their body forcibly taken from them the purity that they want and the, and the psychological damage that is there and the, and the emotional damage that is there. What do you do with a person like that? Do you just say, that is your place now, your settled place? We know what Jesus does with settled places. He disrupts those boundaries. So there is this group of people who just have this compassion that God has put on them that you need to go rescue people who are trafficked, these people who have their faith in Jesus. And so this grouping who base everything they do on the life of Jesus and, and the calling of Jesus established five homes and began to go out among the 80,000 trafficked people who were set free on the streets and began to bring them into the five homes and began to give them shelter and safety and began to work on a legal process where they could become citizens of Spain because if you're not a citizen, you can't get a job. But you see, because of your partnership with Convoy, you were there. Because Convoy connected, because we love partnerships, we connected with them and we began to provide food for those houses and food for people who couldn't get in the houses. And because of the extreme psychological damage that is there and the spiritual damage that is there, Convoy has been spending hours and hours per week walking them through what it is to find value in Jesus and how he can heal their lives. They begin to empower them and train them new skills and how to start a business or how to get a job. See, Convoy of Hope doesn't rescue those who are trafficked, but we empower those who are rescued. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. And that's worship. This morning as we sat in this worship service, you could sense a presence of God. There is a presence in a worship service, but there's so many people who are marginalized who will not step foot into this place. They'll never be in a worship service, but they can be affected by your service of worship. That as you give them compassion, they suddenly feel a presence and they say, I, I think God is here. Their despair is eclipsed by compassion. But for that to happen, we've got to see value in them. Compassion sees value. So Jesus asked this man, what is your name? What's your name? The voice inside of him cries out, legion, which really means a, a grouping of, of soldiers in the Roman Empire consisting of 6,000 men. And Jesus says, I'm going to cast you out. And they say, well, we need a body to go into, so can you put us in this herd of swine over here? And so the demons go into the swine and fill up every swine with a spiritual presence, an evil spiritual presence, and 2,000 pigs rush down the hill and drown. And here's what happened next. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran, and people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, and he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. Not halfway sane, perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. What were they afraid of? Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Jason is no longer a wild man. He has a new mindset. Jesus cast out a community of demons. And he answered the question, and here it is. What is Jason worth? According to Jesus, Jason's worth 2,000 pigs. And that is a lot of income for those folks. Their, their resources, their assets were literally liquidated. Just boom, gone. Some say the value of 2,000 pigs is 
a half million worth of their, of their industry gone. And if the townspeople weren't so freaked out by what compassion costs and they'd have hung around with Jesus a little bit more, they would have found out that God said to them, you're worth my son. Because that's how compassion views life. So two summers ago, hundreds of people said we need to show our community compassion. So let's gather together on a Saturday and provide all sorts of things for them. And, and those who are the working poor can come and they can find that Jesus cares for them and we'll give them practical things including help and jobs pursuits and, and groceries and, and new shoes for the kids and backpacks. And we'll use our resources to accomplish that. I want you to see one story of a guy who discovered what happens when compassion engages one person. Check this out. I've been struggling with drugs and alcohol addiction for pretty much since I can remember. Early 11, 12 years old. Um, just got out of a long stint in Greene County Jail. So I just prayed to God that uh, today would be a different day, man, when I woke up. I, I, I just, I came up here uh, really looking for support of, for my addictions and uh, a miracle happened today, really. Uh, I, I walked up to a lady to ask her if she knew anybody in the community that could help me. And she said, I know somebody who can help you. Come meet my friend, John. He got to telling me his story. And when he got to telling me his story, I just shared my story with him. seen him put his last name on the application it's not a very a very common name and I remembered his brother messaging me from Hawaii and so I just wanted to read this to you it says my brother got off with a lighter sentence on his way to prison now if it, I don't know if he'll ever follow through with Christ but he tells my mom he found Christ in prison and now he's changed for the good He's going to a halfway house in Missouri. I pray one day you could meet him and he could hear your story. And then I said, I would love to do that. Maybe we could make it happen. And then God brought him right next to me, to, the, to me. When my brother lives in Hawaii, I haven't had a, a close relationship with my brother in 20 years almost. This is like the, the, the way that I know miracles are possible, man, because when I walked up to him, I, I didn't even know that my brother had done that. and. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just a little overwhelmed. It's, it, to me, it's just proof that God is great, man, and that through him, anything's possible. Compassion brings the presence of God in places and across boundaries and margins that had never sensed that presence before. The disciples had to be stunned and what Jesus had done, and especially the question he was asking by his actions, which is, what is Jason worth? But you've been answering that question for over a decade. You, you have sent in, through Convoy of Hope, over $71,000 in these last, this last decade and more. And so the question is, what's a hungry child worth? A child who would be on a garbage dump, but when he finds out he can get food in school, goes to school, gets an education, learns how to grow crops, and has walked through a discipleship program and finds Jesus. What is a child worth? See, it only costs $10 a month to do that. And with what you have given in this last decade, that could actually feed 596 kids for a year. That's what you've done. What's a woman who's caught in abuse and gender inequality worth? A woman for $1,000 can walk through a program where she finds her value. She's trained in parenting skills and life skills and learns some new job skills and then begins her business and begins to walk her family out of poverty. What you have given us the last decade would help us 
empower 71 women whose lives have been changed. And when their lives change, the family changes. When the family changes, the community changes. So how much is a city worth? Compassion doesn't run from despair, it runs to it. Compassion is not overwhelmed by the issues, but engages the person. Compassion is not comfortable, it's transformational. And that is worship. Compassion says, Father God, make me like you and help me do what you do. And God's compassion will remind us everybody can do something. So let's make that our story. So Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you how this community of faith is already reaching out. And I thank you that they're not just satisfied with where they've gone, but you're going to take them beyond because the more we give, the more you give to us to give more. And so I thank you. I pray over them today. A constant awareness of doing the next kind thing you put in front of them. I pray for them today that they will have the courage when they don't have the resources, but yet they move ahead and you provide. Continue to give them the vision to think way beyond this dimension and way beyond their margins. And fill them with your Holy Spirit and with that power of compassion. We pray that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Jack. Can we thank Pastor Jack for bringing that timely word? <clears throat> when, I, when I shared with him that our next sermon series was why, why we worship and why we read God's word and that, you know, these couple of big ideas the Lord was putting in my heart that what worship bring city transformation, being the first one, would you be okay preaching with that? I said, oh, I love that. And... Pastor Jack, I have read that passage about the demoniac um, and the pigs going over, I mean, 20, 30, 40 times over the years. I have never, never, it never hit me that that was their income. Did anybody else, did that surprise anybody else? Am I the only slow one? Yeah. Thank you, Keith, and me and you together. I never, you know, compassion, it does cost you, Right? And so maybe um, if we could just take one more minute, can you just bow your heads? Let's just, and I'm with you in this. <clears throat> Father, if our worship is not costing us anything, would you forgive us? Lord, like my new friend said on the phone last week, forgive us if we've just grown accustomed to just wanting good services. Lord, help us, like Pastor Jack said, to bring service to people. God, to bring worship, to, for them to see the goodness of God, that we would actually first engage them, Lord. Help us to see them the way that you saw them. Help us to have compassion, Jesus, the way you had compassion, Help us to break the cultural norms and the cultural margin lines that would tell us, well, we don't need to go there. We don't need to talk to them. Forgive us, Lord. Can we just say a collective forgive us? Open our eyes to see God who is hurting. The orphan. Lord, the person at our workplace that we know is hurting, but we've been turning a blind eye and ignoring them. Help us to just walk across the room, Lord, and engage them and pray with them. Get their name, because you know their name. They are so valuable to you that you suffered on the cross for them. You endured pain, humiliation, so that people like Jason, Lord, so that every single person who is hurting, Lord,
Lord, that guy we just met on the screen. Help us to see them, Lord. Help us to see them, Lord. Help us to be moved by compassion, like Isaiah. In fact, can we stand up to our feet? And I want us to say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if, you, if you're not a follower yet, I understand. We're going to pray that you would give your heart to him. But if you're a follower of Jesus, would you just lift up your hands and say, God, like Isaiah, I say, send me. Lord, I have seen your holiness. I have seen how perfect you are. I see how sinful and broken I am. And Lord, your response to me is that this is the same with Isaiah. Who will go for me, God? And we say, here I am, Lord, send me. Can you say that again? Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. So God, first I pray right now for a fresh revelation of your holiness. Lord, we won't even ask the question. We won't even say, send me, if we don't see you for who you are. So right now, God, to this section to my left, Lord, this section in front of me, these people in the center right, God, these people right over here to my right, that every person would have a revelation of your holiness. Glimpses, God. Can you look this way for a minute? I know it's 11, but will you give me just two more minutes? Two more minutes. Some of you know this story. I was in Brownsville. I had received a call to ministry when I was 14. I know you probably don't know the story, Pastor Jack. I was 14, and I was at a youth camp. Well, what I consider my second call to ministry, I will never forget it. I was at Bible college, and I asked God, I, for some reason, I, I was about a year and a half in maybe, and I had had these encounters with God that were really cool. Let's, let's say that, right? They're like, man, I, I couldn't believe how good God was or I could feel God. I could feel the presence of God like a blanket. And I had these cool moments that are hard to articulate. But I, for some reason, kept saying, God, give me a revelation of you. Now, that is a scary prayer. I didn't realize that was a scary prayer until it happened. I was asking this for two or three months. And some of you know this story. I was asking God, in particular, in all the worship services. And when you go to Bible college, you go to a lot of worship services. You go to a lot of services. So I'm standing there, and I'm saying, God, give me a revelation of you, not really, ask, not really knowing what I'm asking. And suddenly, the presence of God hit me so powerfully that my roommates, Michael, all, the, all of them said the same thing, that I was in tremors on the ground. I was hitting all of the uh, chairs, the chair legs. I was in total, I mean, like Isaiah felt that, just, I was in, I was stunned. I saw this lion's face. I saw this eye of fire, and that's all I saw. It was a glimpse, and I'll never forget it, ever in my life. And I was crying. I was a mess. Guys, when I kind of came out of this experience, I was in between the chairs. Everybody say, that's weird. I know. I know. That's weird. I was, it was weird. But it was powerful, and I knew it was God. Now, I want to connect these two, okay? Because here's what happened. I went to the bathroom backstage because I didn't want anybody to, to see me. I knew I was a mess. So I went to the bathroom backstage, and right as I walked in the door, it was like Jesus was standing right there. And I heard, I heard God so loud, I will never, ever, ever forget it, never in my life. He said, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was thirsty, and you gave me, gave me something to drink. This will define your life. And I was another ball of tears. I was on the ground, yes, in the bathroom, on the ground, just me and Jesus. And I think in that moment, I was getting this glimpse of what ministry is. 
Because Paul, maybe I thought ministry was, you know, you go up, you, you prepare a sermon for a few days, and then you come up and you deliver the sermon. That's not ministry. Ministry, like Mother Teresa said, like, is loving the person that's broken right in front of you. They're a stranger. They need a friend. You take them in. They're a child without parents. You say, hey, this is the one I believe I'm supposed to care for. So, God, I just pray as we close a revelation, Lord. Lord, however you want to do it, because, Lord, I know I did not anticipate what you did in my life that day. However you want to do it, Lord. Can you even pray it that bold? Can you just say, God, however you want to do it, however you want to reveal yourself to me. And, Jesus, I pray that every person who calls Rock of Grace their home church would have such an encounter with you, such an encounter that they would begin to engage the Jason. Whoever that society is running from, we would run to. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Hey, one more time. That was one of the best sermons. Come on. Can you thank Pastor Jack? So, so thankful for you. Have a fantastic week, and I can't wait to hear what God does throughout the week in your hearts.